I'm Rob. I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. This is week one of our 2022 Christmas movies. Uh-huh. And we started out with, as Nate pointed out, my fourth 1992 film this year. Because once we suggested anniversary theme month, and I'd actually looked at the list of films for this year, it was too easy to add some others back in. So we started off with 1992's Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. A film celebrating its 30th anniversary this year, which is the reason why we are doing it instead of the original 1990 Home Alone. I did want to say a thing or two about the original Home Alone before we get into this film, specifically a story about when I first went to see it. So I was 10 years old when this movie came out, and this movie is right up a 10-year-old's alley. I've been seeing the previews. I was excited to see it. My folks were going to take us to see it this Saturday afternoon, but me and my brother, I don't know what we did. We got into some kind of fight. My mom's like, well, we'll go see it without you. It's like, yeah, right. You'll not go see it what they did. Oh, I was devastated. Oh, so bad. About a week or two later, they did take us to the theater to see it. But because of that, me and my brother were on our best behavior when Home Alone 2 came out two years later. So we could see it all at once instead of a week or two after after my family. So that's my, my Home Alone story. Yeah. And did you get to see Home Alone 2 in the theaters? We did, yes. Yeah. So it was released on November 20th, 1992. So as of the date that we are recording this today, we are watching it. This is appropriate timing because this would be the Saturday after it came out, oh. 30 years ago, mm-hmm. or the weekend after. And so it would have been appropriate to see it the weekend after its release, mm-hmm. 30 years ago today. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, how many times is this a regular watch for you? This is, you know, I have very few regular Halloween or holiday watches we discussed before i don't know if it was all on the podcast or not but i don't really have anything i watch every year i have things that get watched every two to four years but there's little or anything that i can think of that is an absolute must each year which is kind of disappointing to me Uh i have multiples that are must every year probably home alone Alone 2 elf christmas story probably makes it almost every year christmas story die hard um die hard is pretty makes it often Uh, national lampoons makes it most national lampoons christmas vacation is another must but i even take a break from something that i love like it's a wonderful life so that i don't you know overwatch it and then like it less see and i don't know that there's such a thing as necessarily overwatching great movies but that's my opinion you need to do the five-night challenge so that you can test, put this theory to the test and actually see if overwatching a movie does mm. that for you. Dude. Yeah. So do you, how many times would you say you've seen this before? I don't know. I've seen, I've a seen this a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 20, probably. Yeah. Not that I'm always paying the most attention when it's on. Well, that's part of the beauty of rewatching some of these every year is you don't necessarily have to pay attention. Yeah. And one like Home Alone or Home Alone 2, I would say that my wife and I tend to watch that more than once per, per year, in part because it's something you could turn on and not have to pay attention to. So sometimes I'll do that like while I'm editing podcasts. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I'd say, like I said, I watch this at least once every year. So if this is its 30th anniversary, I'd say I've probably seen it 75 to 100 times. And in a way, you've seen it at least twice that because Home Alone 2 is in the great tradition of sequels of the time, which is basically make the same movie in a different location. Another Christmas example of this would be Die Hard and Die Hard 2. But there are many films from the 80s and 90s that were played it super safe sequel bait and it paid off which is why they kept doing it uh the movie of course stars kevin Mac- Mac- or macaulay culkin as kevin returning to that role 
Joe Pesci as Harry, Daniel Stern as Marv, Catherine O'Hara as Kate, the mother, John Hurd as Peter, the father, Devin Ratray as Buzz, and various others, Gary Bamman and Terry Snell as Uncle Frank and Aunt Leslie. Uh, you have the siblings. You have Tim Curry as the con- hotel concierge. Brenda Fricker as the pigeon lady. Eddie Bracken as Mr. Duncan. Dana Ivey as the desk clerk. And Rob Schneider as the bellman. Of course, is a return visit, return appearance of Eddie Bracken, who was in Miracle Morgan's Creek way back uh, last year when we were doing Preston Sturgis Month. Uh, there's some other minor bit parts that make reoccurrences, like one of the ticket agents oh, right. at the airport, things like that. Yeah, this is directed by Christopher Columbus. Again, at some point we'll probably have to do a Christopher Columbus month, but he was a capable director, obviously did well, with, reasonably well with kids in, in films at this time, despite a number of its challenges that come along with it. Written by John Hughes, they, these guys collaborated you know, a lot at this time. I'm a little surprised um, John Hughes returned to write this because he notoriously was not a fan of sequels. Well, he even wrote the third. Really? Yeah. I'm disappointed. I've never seen the third. It's You're not missing a lot. And looks like he might be in the t- version that came out and t- or had, did something in the 2012 version. That's probably some kind of honorary credit. He also did things in the Beethoven movies. That's probably a producer credit. No, he got a, a writer credit on. Oh, really? Written by. Hmm. He was he wrote characters for the Beethovens apparently. Uh, he wrote the Dennis the Menace. He wrote the the screenplay for the original Beethoven. Well, he was a very prolific writer. Yeah, the simple plot synopsis from IMDb is: One year after Kevin McAllister was left home alone and had to defeat a pair of bumbling burglars, he accidentally finds himself stranded in New York City, and the same criminals are not far behind. Previously known as the Wet Bandits, they have adopted the moniker, at least Marvin has, of the Sticky Bandits. Yep. By ra- wrapping tape around his gloves yes. so he can reach into things and it'll stick to him. Mm. But they have come up with the idea to rob a toy store, which has chests full of money that they're donating to the children's hospital. But they're going to wait in the store after it closes on Christmas Eve, rob the toy, toy store, and then apparently get fake passports and flee the country. But how would Kevin be involved in this if they're in New York? Because he took the wrong plane because he followed the wrong coat in the airport because he was a kid looking for batteries for his toy that didn't exist at the time this movie was filmed. For his Talkboy, which my brother had. Yes, but the Talkboy didn't exist when they made this movie. They'd made a prototype for the movie, and then based on the popularity of it in the movie, they actually then released it. I wanted to share some conspiracy theories that explain things that happen in the Home Alone franchises. You ready for this? Okay. One theory from the original Home Alone is that Old Man Marley is Kevin from the future. Ah. That he has come back, you know, his siblings and his cousins are horrified by their neighbor Old Man Marley. Kevin's big brother, uh, Buzz, convinces him that Marley is the shovel slayer who disposed of his family's bodies using ice melt. Kevin later learns that that's not true. And they believe that Marley is actually Kevin from the future, returning to alter his tragic childhood. After all, it is old man Marley who saves Kevin from being murdered by the wet bandits in the end, which enables him to reconcile with his family, something Marley isn't able to do until he's in his wiser years. Another theory is that Kevin is is the serial killer from Saw. The youngest McAllister son was more than a little messed up by these events. By going up against the wet bandits, he learned very crafty and malicious ways of injuring people. 
Therefore, it is not a stretch that Kevin grew up to be the jigsaw killer, forcing people into cruel life-or-death scenarios. Another theory is that Kevin's dad is a mobster. The older we get, the more we wonder what exactly Kevin's dad did to afford that sprawling house in a Chicago suburb, that massive family of children, and the ability to take his immediate and extended family on a lush, lush vacation to Paris for Christmas. Honestly, we can barely afford a three-wick candle from Bath & Body Works. That's what this article says. They suggest that Kevin's dad is a mob, mid-level mob boss. This is Chicago, after all. And if you recall, when Harry comes to the house initially dressed as a Chicago police officer to warn the family about crime in the area, Peter gets defensive and asks, Am I in some kind of trouble, officer? We're also never told what he does for a living, which is a little suspicious. The next theory is that Marv and Harry were working for Uncle Frank. We don't know much about Uncle Frank other than the fact that he's mean, cheap, and rude. He also has lots of kids. Frank is Peter's older brother, but he's certainly not as polished or well-off. Some believe that Uncle Frank was the mastermind behind the McAllister home being robbed. It's even suggested that Frank, who is admittedly highly suspicious, hired Marvin Harry to rob the McAllister's place. It's your own family sometimes. Another theory, Gus Polinski, played by John Candy, is the devil himself. Because he appears to Kate, he comes to Kate, the moment after she says that she would even sell, even if she had to sell her soul to the devil himself. That's when Gus Polinski comes up. And in a cruel twist of face, fate, she could have remained at the airport and, and, re, and arrived home at the exact same time as the rest of her family, as if it was the universe or the devil playing tricks on her. Another theory is that Harry and Marv are the Christmas spirits. I mean, old man Marley. Mm-hmm. They believe that Kevin is a pretty heinous child at the beginning of Home Alone, and he wishes his family would disappear. Mar- Harry and Marv show up as Christmas spirits to help him remember how important his family is. In Home Alone 2, they reappear again when Kevin, who has his father's credit card, gets carried away with spending. Harry and Marv are there to remind him about the importance of giving and what Christmas is really about. Uh, Mr. Duncan and the Pigeon Lady were former lovers. We never see them meet in the films, but they, they indicate that Mr. Duncan left the Pigeon Lady because she couldn't have children. In the movie, the Pigeon Lady talks about being in a relationship in the past and that her partner left her, but didn't go into further detail. However, it's clear that she once lived a luxurious life since she often sneaks into Carnegie Hall and tells Kevin that she's seen everyone from Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald perform there. Perhaps it was when she was in a relationship with the wealthy Mr. Duncan. It's also interesting that the gift Mr. Duncan gave Kevin was a pair of turtle doves. Now we get into some of the less plausible ones. Uncle Frank put a hit out on Kevin. He hired the, the wet bandits to kill Kevin because he overheard Frank talking about something he'd done. Next is that Kevin's father hates him. Their support on this one is kind of fuzzy. They say at the start of Home Alone, Kevin's relationship with the, with his father, Peter, isn't exactly warm and fuzzy. And they're using support like Peter berating Kevin about the fish hooks and only throwing away Kevin's ticket. Those are kind of a little bit of a stretch. But a more plausible theory is that Kevin's dad is training him to be a secret agent. If Peter McAllister isn't a mobster, he might be a secret agent training his children in the art of survival. In Home Alone, Kevin is taunted and harassed by his siblings, cousins, and his Uncle Frank, but Peter seems pretty unfazed by it all. They suggest Peter is orchestrating the entire break-in, making sure his son knows how to survive, and he forces his son to use household items to thwart Marvin Harry. Well, my personal theory is that 10 years after the events of this film, Kevin McAllister is working for the George W. Bush administration to devise torture techniques for Gitmo. No. One last theory I'll share. The McAllisters are a cult. At first glance, it seems like the McAllisters are an average family. However, 
Screen Rant believes something else is amiss. They believe that the McAllisters are actually a cult. They suggest that choosing to call the police over a friend when they realize Kevin is missing is pretty weird, except they do call people on the street. Could that be because the McAllisters don't actually have any friends? The kids are also super suspicious of outsiders, and we see Fuller and his sister are terrified of Harry when they see him, even though he's dressed up like a cop. Buzz, Kevin, and, and their cousins are convinced that old man Marley is the shovel slayer. Fear is a pretty good way to keep kids in line and isolated from the outside world. Those are some interesting theories about the films. Yeah. There's some interesting trivia if we're ready for that. Sure. Macaulay Culkin was paid $4.5 million to star in this movie. The biggest salary ever to an 11-year-old at the time of filming for a child actor. <laughs> After one scene, Macaulay Culkin asked Joe Pesci why he never smiled. Pesci told him to shut up. At the time, Pesci said, He's pampered a lot by a lot of people, but not me, and I think he likes that. The movie was actually shot at the plaza in Central Park Suite. The phone number given for the plaza in the movie was an actual working number at the time. In the original Home Alone, Kevin watched a movie called Angels with Filthy Souls. In this movie, he watches the movie Angels with Even Filthier Souls. Like Angels with Filthy Souls, Angels with Even Filthier Souls is not a real movie and was filmed separately from and specifically for Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. The swimming pool scene was actually shot at the Four Seasons in Chicago because the Plaza Hotel does not have a swimming pool located on site. Entertainment Weekly had a real medical doctor analyze what the actual effects of the injuries to Harry and Marv would be. And according to this physician, bricks to the face, as Marv experienced, would have caused, at best, brain damage, at worst, death. I think they might actually go through more in this than in the first film. Like, you gotta one-up it. Certainly more physically violent things, yeah. The renovated house where Kevin sets up his traps is not actually in New York. All the scenes of the house in the surrounding neighborhood were filmed at the Hollywood backlot, Brownstone Street. The Plaza Hotel used to offer Home Alone experience around Christmas where guests could pay to stay in a room similar to the room in which Kevin stayed, receive Home Alone gifts, including the movies, and take a limousine and see some of the filming locations, including the toy store upon which Duncan's toy chest was based. As of March 1, 2008, the plaza has been a combination of hotel and private condominium units. As I mentioned previously, the talk boy, the tape recorder Kevin has, did not actually exist before Home Alone 2 was released. It was a prop created specifically for the movie, but after the movie became a box office hit, Tiger Electronics created and distributed a real version of the talk boy, along with its pink and purple counterpart, the talk girl. Director Christopher Columbus recalls during filming, I was up on 140th Street in Harlem. It was 3 in the morning, and I was walking to get a cup of coffee. These two young kids came up to me and said, What's the name of the movie? I said, Home Alone 2. And they said, What do you do? And I said, I'm the director. They said, Oh, you're John Hughes. (laughs) And the carpet was removed from the plaza lobby uh, for one scene so that Macaulay Culkin could uh, slip and slide on the floor. And the plaza owners at the time liked it so much, they never had the carpet refitted. Kevin's room service bill indicates he spent $967 on two chocolate cakes, six chocolate mousses with chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry ice cream, topped with M&Ms, chocolate sprinkles, cherries, nuts, marshmallows, caramel syrup, chocolate syrup, strawberry syrup, whipped cream, bananas, six custard flans, a pastry cart, eight strawberry tarts, and 36 chocolate-covered strawberries. And we used the handy inflation calculator to learn that the 967.43 from 1992 is the equivalent of $2,054.92 in 2022. Yep. 
A scene was filmed, but deleted, and to this date has never been seen, which has the McAllisters, uh, which as the McAllisters are waiting to catch a flight to New York when Kevin is tracked down in New York by Peter's credit card. Frank complains about Kevin again ruining another Christmas vacation, and Kate and Peter stand up to Frank and tell him to stop. When Kevin Kevin visits various New York City landmarks, his visit to the World Trade Center was removed from TV broadcasts after 2001. Why? Out of respect for the victims. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) As of Christmas 2018, the scene at the World Trade Center has been restored. Though there was a hubbub in 2018 during Donald Trump's presidency because New York or Canadian TV edited his little cameo out of the movie and he took it as a political slight. Which apparently had been edited out from a previous viewing because it's not important for years. Not important to the plot and to fit, fit it into the, the length for a commercial movie on broadcast television in Canada. You cut out the Donald Trump. Yep. Uh, Director Christopher Columbus has stated in interviews that he considers Home Alone 2 better than the original Home Alone. Mm, I disagree. The scene when the man sitting next to Kevin on the plane starts speaking in French was translated into Spanish on the DVD French audio settings. During production, writer and producer John Hughes wrote script drafts for Home Alone 3 in which Macaulay Culkin would return as a teenage Kevin McAllister. When he found out Culkin quit acting in 1994... He wrote the, rewrote the story from scratch. Wow. I actually wondered about this, but I didn't think I was going to find an explanation. So I didn't mention it while we were watching. Tim Curry's character. Okay. Did you notice his lapel pins? I did not. He had unique lapel pins in this movie. And his the key symbols on his jacket are from an organization known as Les Clefs. De Or USA. It is the only national association of professional hotel concierges and is considered by many to be extremely hard into which to, uh, to obtain membership. Earning the gold keys is a privilege given only to the true concierge professional, one who is dedicated to delivering the highest level of service to their guests and their hotels, in, other addi- in addition to other requirements which can be found on their website. He did not live up to that reputation in this film. And one of the interesting things about him, I think this might have been the movie that first uh, put Tim Curry on my radar. And he's absolutely, you know, he's great in it. He's he's meant to be abused in in this manner. But it's one of the few characters for whom there is not an analog in the original Home Alone. It's like the bird lady is the, the shovel slayer. And obviously, most of the cast is uh, returning from the original film, but there's no equivalent to that concierge in the original Home Alone. Yeah. I think that's about all that's worth producing, or uh, worth sharing on here. What other thoughts do you have on this film, Nate? I guess we should hit box office, too. Had an estimated budget of $28 million, an opening weekend of $31 million, okay. a domestic gross of $173.5 million, and a worldwide gross of $358.9 million. Uh, the film has a 6.8 on IMDb and a mere 35% on Rotten Tomatoes, in contrast to the 7.7 on IMDb for the original Home Alone and 67% Rotten Tomatoes for the original Home Alone. This is a little bit tricky to rate because it's so... You know, most of my life I've been aware of both of these films, and they're just kind of 
sunk into the tradition, so to look at them critically is a little difficult. It's really not very good. It's not horrible, but it is just a retread uh, of the original film. It, it, it really lacks in new ideas other than Tim Curry. So I'm going to give it two and a half stars, and I'm going to give it a six on the 10-star scale. I also give this six on the 10-star scale. I kind of waffle back and forth between that two and two and a half. It's not a great, you know, from a critical standpoint, it's not a great film, but it is a kind of a Christmas classic, and it is fun. It did maintain the fun of the original, and I think it holds up nearly as well as the original, in my opinion. So, any other thoughts? Not really. Yeah? Any other witty? Some kind of joke about how they didn't put any thought into it, so why should I? <laughs> I was going to make a comment about their change in... Uh, Product placement sponsorship. Oh, did they? They went from Pepsi to Coca-Cola. Oh, they did. Yeah. There's a bidding war. Part of the Coca-Cola Wars, the, the McAllister Theater of the Cola Wars. Yeah. But it's interesting because in the first one, they only used two liter bottles. Mm. And in this one, they only use cans. Mm. So, anyways. If there's nothing else, I'm Rob. I'm Nate. And this is Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. You know, I did basically no research for this, and I took very few notes. I'm just going to be lazy and phone it in. Like the makers of Home Alone 2, last to New York. You need to... Oh, computer glitch making its way in. Plot synopsis... So what other uh, Christmas movies do you plan to watch? Uh, I'm sure I'll do um, Die Hard and uh, Christmas Carol, probably National Lampoons. Those are kind of the easiest to get probably maybe it's a wonderful life you gotta wait till December 13th and do uh, the director's cut of Muppets Christmas Girl oh okay probably watch uh, Scrooge the uh, Bill Murray no no, no that's Scrooge oh. Scrooge is the early 70s uh, musical version with Albert Finney which I wow. quite like yeah and then my favorite Scrooge is uh, Alistair Sim from the 1951 British version of Christmas Carol, Carol, which I believe is also simply called Scrooge. Yeah. Which is not my favorite version of a Christmas Carol because it cuts good portions off of it, but it's my favorite Scrooge. Yeah. Which, you know, I think I've converted you. Your favorite Christmas Carol is a Muppets Christmas Carol, right? I don't know. I think it might be Scrooge 1970s musical version, actually. Yeah. And speaking of musical versions of a Christmas Carol, I saw Spirited recently, which is a kind of a deconstructed riff on the Charles Dickens story, and that is pretty good. Yeah. A new fun one? Do you think it'll be a new Christmas classic? Well, I think it could be if people can get access to it. It was made for Apple, given a theatrical run, but if it ends up in that little Apple streaming ghetto, uh, people aren't going to have the opportunity to see it. You just called the Apple streaming service a ghetto? Well, it's just just a little, you know, it, it only has a very limited base of people that watch it. I, I would disagree. So, so Apple TV is being added to more and more TVs now mm-hmm. uh, and s- streaming devices. In fact, I was looking at some TVs on Black Friday this year, and uh, almost all of them had the ability to stream Apple TV. I mean, the ability to stream it is different than having the app. No, that's it, it has the app on it. But they have to pay for your Apple TV. Well, yeah, like you have to pay for Netflix yeah, or yeah. Disney Plus or but most people aren't Paramount or Peacock. There's or, too many freaking streaming services. Yeah. But it depends on which content producers you want to see. so Or you have the rotating service. And then, of course, Apple also has Charlie Brown stuff on there. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
which meant this was the first time in I forget how long that I think the original special was in 64 or 65. I'm trying to remember the name of their Thanksgiving special and also uh-huh. their the the Halloween special is the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, right? Uh-huh. This was oh, that was something about Snoopy is the Thanksgiving one. It's the first time that it didn't air on network TV. Beagle, something like it's that. the first time it didn't air on network TV in like a ridiculous number of years. Mm-hmm. And Apple was getting some pushback on that, and so they made it for uh, you could stream it for free uh, over the holiday, so to try and delay some of that criticism. So yeah. People don't even want to pay peanuts for their Charlie Brown specials. That was really low. Yeah. yeah. I hope I don't get in trouble for my ghetto joke. I didn't mean it that way. No. No, the joke you would have gotten in trouble for was the one you made before I turned on the recording. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, 